Hello, everyone. Hello, and welcome to the 12th episode of Audio Distancing, the broad science mini-sode series about communicating inclusive science in the time of COVID-19. We're your hosts. I'm Rakeep Tesfaye. And I'm Elisa Favreau. Now, over the past few weeks, we have been looking at the various ways COVID-19 is intersecting with climate change and climate justice. We have three other episodes that cover a variety of topics, but for today, we're going to be discussing a situation that in Canada epitomizes how very entwined public health and the planet's health are. Yeah, we're going to be discussing what is currently still happening in the Wet'suwet'en Nation an unceded territory in northern British Columbia. A fair amount of attention was being paid to the Wet'suwet'en Nation in February when militarized RCMP forces invaded Indigenous lands and that resulted in a standoff at a checkpoint a few kilometers from the Unistodan camp. The RCMP were there to carry out orders to clear the land for the construction of the $6 billion coastal gas link pipeline, a project that the hereditary chiefs of all five clans of the Wet'suwet'en have opposed. 28 land defenders were arrested in February and there was widespread protest and dismay. But since then, we haven't seen much about this on the news. Yeah, COVID really took over that news cycle. But during the pandemic over in the U.S., there was a glimmer of hopeful news, which I don't think is affiliated with the U.S. anymore. (laughs) Um, But multiple federal court decisions have put a wrench in the plans of multi-billion dollar pipeline projects. For instance, the Dakota Pipeline was ordered to shut down. The Atlantic Coastal Pipeline abandoned their six-year bid. And the Keystone XL pipeline faced a mass blow after having a key environmental permit denied. And as much as we hope that sets a precedent, here in Canada, Coastal GasLink is still very much fighting for this pipeline, despite the fact that an alternate route around the Wet'suwet'en lands was proposed, I might add. During COVID-19, negotiations and protests have been put on hold due to health concerns. The Wet'suwet'en Nation's consensus-based meeting system requires meetings of more than 50 people, which obviously is impossible given current social distancing guidelines. This pandemic has also seen community members sounding alarms about their safety. And we know from our previous episode, talking to Courtney Skye, that Indigenous communities have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic. The presence of the RCMP, of the Coastal GasLink workers, puts an isolated community at huge risk. This isn't just a public health crisis or just an environmental crisis. What's happening in the Wet'suwet'en Nation truly epitomizes Canada's severe bias against Indigenous sovereignty. It really shows who gets prioritized and Canada's ongoing use of the environment as a weapon to carry out a colonialist agenda. It becomes really clear what parts of the country are worth preserving in the eyes of the Canadian government and and what peoples are worth preserving too. Mm -hmm. For the episode today, we are fortunate to speak with Marlene Hale, who is a member of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. She is a culinary chef, but also a vocal activist, advocate, and community mobilizer who was based here in Montreal. 
Here she is talking about the toll this pipeline has had on the Wet'suwet'en Nation and the ongoing struggle facing the community. A lot of people were talking about the Unistoten camp in February with hashtags like Wet'suwet'en Strong and All Eyes on Wet'suwet'en getting some traction. But since then, in large part because of the overwhelming nature of COVID, there hasn't been as much coverage of the situation and not many of us know what's still happening. But we do know that pipeline construction has continued during the pandemic. Can you tell us a bit more about that situation? Well, what happened before uh, directly was, if you can remember, I can't remember the exact date, but the MOU between the uh, hereditary chiefs and the two governments, the provincial government and uh, the Canada government, have signed a memorandum of, of understanding, which was op- to open a dialogue into uh, working on getting everything organized and back onto the track of speaking to one another. What this, what the um, hereditary chiefs now have to do is do a lot of work, and it is a lot of work, and it's hard. It's much harder on these gentlemen. Don't forget that they're all elders, and now they have to live a virtual world like like the rest of the world. And uh, get, having said that, for them to have so many meetings, um, it's taken its toll on them. Plus the uh, infraction of the RCMP. Uh, I think the last picture that I showed was of two RCMP going into um, Wass, Wass, who's our spokesperson, uh, hereditary chief, and he has a smokehouse. And they were, um, the two RCMP with assault rifles were, were look, lurking around his smokehouse, of all things, and to put up a notice on there that they're going to, to tear it down. And it's just one of the most... Um, horrific things that could could put up put you could do to a chief and so many things like that we really just have to take a deep breath and carry on as the the the, the utmost best because my nation right now is just in in healing for the unistoten camp it was set up in 2010, um, exactly where the pipeline is supposed to go as it carries fracked gas from Dawson Creek to Kitimat or as it's planning to. Um, And that's the main form of protest that's happening. Can you speak to, to the last kind of 10 years of that? That's right. The Jonas Toten, uh, when Frida Houston started that 10 years ago, when she was getting her name, she's one of a few people now have been gone back to... I, I I love her for the the energy she has, and also for the fact that she is really carrying on traditional values from what was handed down to her. When you do hand down a name, and just to get a name, uh, a hereditary chief's name or a chief's name, you first thing you got to do to get that name is you got to go live on the land for a month. You sustain on that land. You get to know it. You get to know all the rocks, the trees, the animals. You live with it day after day. When you finish doing that for a month, you walk into the feast house. The chiefs walk you in. Then you tell the feast, the the, the community, what you have done for that whole month. 
and then the 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 ceremony goes on for you to get your name and that that's part of getting a name what she's done is beyond that she's taken on the name but she's gone totally back to the land and she's living off of it and what is she doing for so many people when she got the healing center number one uh, a month ago we just buried my one cousin his name is herbie jim and he was one of the few uh clients that were in that healing center when it all came down and he it really it was really a blessing because he came from the from the streets of vancouver and where people all of the cousins were uh surrounding him and doing an intervention like we do to so many young people just telling them the only way you're going to clean up is to go home and go live off the land and exactly what he did and there's pictures you can see on their their site he's just so happy he's learning computers he's out there on the land and he the, the smiles you just couldn't see it bigger he's in the winter he's on a smoke snowmobile and you know doing that versus the streets of vancouver what a difference night and day so when she started this healing center it was it's it's totally uh initiated by a, a, a doctor dr Tar carla tate and uh before then he uh, frida and samogaman was one of the hereditary chiefs were in partnership of getting that all t together right from building one building to and all the other stuff that they've got up there and they had a wonderful man uh, come in from Houston BC which is the smallest town closest to Unistoten who was the businessman he came, went up there and he he wanted to in the big building was to put up a solar panel free of charge so that gave them hot water electricity you name it all what they have up there was from him and he has to go there once a month to maintain this and when it all it almost just all got uh, ruined because when the takedown came he was not allowed to go up and up in and out at all or to maintain the solar panel Marlene, as you, so but as you mentioned uh, beforehand, and, and you know, luckily there have been no cases of, of COVID that have been identified mm -hmm. yet. But you know, this is a big concern for land defenders on the Unistoten camp, and for several months the camp was closed to visitors. But I take it, and based on on your responses, that the RCMP and the Trans Canada workers are still there. They they are still there and they they really don't care. They still taunt our our people. And uh, I'll give you a few examples where earlier on when it came out of the COVID, some of the chiefs were driving up and down, and uh, one of them noticed that there was a gas leak. They had they had, they had concealed it, and uh, by with a big tarp, and uh, that came out and. Uh, with the media and what everything else and they they said that they had cleaned it up and every time an rcmp spots somebody up there he will stop him and give him a ticket for almost anything dumb one was a young guy was was driving up there and he got a ticket for what because he had dirt on his license plate and there's been so many stories of people going up berry picking and having a, t a ticket you're not supposed to be up here for certain hours 
and just things like that are just trying to stall our people. They want people to push them back and, and they, you know, give them room to, to um, you know, to assault them pretty much. What they have done, have said to them in many ways in such a way was that we just hope you get the COVID and die and go away. This is to our people. Oh, my God. Oh, and this is God. how um, our matriarchs, who've always sat in the chief's office with them day by day, even they had to just um, step back and cannot do this anymore. It's been a lot of uh, suffering on, on all of them where they have brought in um, Sandra Harris is a wonderful girl with a local girl. She's working with both the chiefs, the chief's office, the matriarchs and our people on trauma, what they have endured. It's hard sometimes to talk about it. I think myself, I, I wipe it out and I have images like when my sister's telling me this it's my cousins they're my family and what they have said to them to certain people and some of the elders and one has passed on since and it, it's so hurtful to put this in your heart knowing how somebody could just look you in the face and just say the hurtful awful things that you know, that you've all got drinking problems. You're not doing anything with this land anyways. What the hell are you all doing up here? You know, just go away, telling us to go away. And uh, that was their reason for being up there. And we were never going to stop them was all what they retort back to some of the, the chiefs. I live in Montreal and why I have come and done what I do now is the most I can do for my people, my family, my cousins, everybody, because when this first st stemmed out was, it was always from a call from one of my sisters who was living in Smithers and she lives right across from one of the biggest hotels in Smithers. January the 6th of 2019, she called me up and she was in tears. And she said that there was a big bus and they were, there was a lot of RCMP on that bus with rifles and they might be heading, they know that they're going to be heading up that time to get them down. And that's when that day when she was talking to me was there was elders, children, uh, Molly Wickham, everybody up at Give Them Dan, and she was making chili and bannock and welcoming them all and, and with hot tea, and they were joking, talking about stories, and then she got the call that the RCMP were on their way up. And they did the smartest thing was remove the elders and the children, and they stood they stood their ground, and we know what happened after that. And it's the same thing with this year when uh, most of the people went up there to aid the uh, the hereditary chiefs and to aid everybody else and how they were treated, you know, going up there. We all know what stemmed after that has been on mm -hmm. the media. So all the pictures. So when you see the 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 
the story the behind the stories were going back to my sister who was the one initially gave me a call she was the one even when the last uh, raid on Unistoten uh, the RCMP plus the CGL CGL pretty much ran Smithers BC they ran the media they they uh, would not they told the local helicopter companies they were not allowed to ha have any of us hire helicopters to go up to Unistoten we were shut out on my own uh, Facebook I just put we are blocked out meaning I could not get no information from up there at all cell phones you name it was blocked out so Marlene in addition to being physically blocked out and and to the horrendous abuse that you're describing here community members have also reported that neither the pipeline workers nor the RCMP are actually maintaining adequate social distancing and, no, and workers not. are and workers are, are are lodged in crowded hotels and work camps can you can you maybe speak a little to that and what you've heard yeah what they have done was Houston BC is where they moved the one uh, RCMP camp they moved it on my traditional I'm from the Luxilio uh, clan there's five clans that's a small frog clan they they put their little their little trailers to save on on our our land now they've they've moved it. They said that they moved out of one terror, but they just went from one to the other. When they did, they have in Houston, because Houston people are, are some of the families there are part of the families that have signed the uh, the, the papers initially with the CGL, letting them think in that you know how this all came about in the first place so those families are aiding them because they are still are are all there because they all get paid for feeding the rcmp and the all the hotels bed and breakfast are all full of rcmp still going in and out in and out and, and like i said before they're from different parts of bc they're not local they're they drive up and they will speak in your face even if and so we've been told uh, our people like you make sure you when you do have one you have a face mask on and they will talk so close to your face on purpose this situation i think shows even more the need for indigenous sovereignty something that's oh, yes. for blocking something like a devastating pipeline project but also right now for being able to close borders and preserve public health right this is a group of people that is remote and without access to health care during a pandemic and so on this podcast, we've been discussing the ways in which the pandemic is intersecting with climate justice. And from an outside perspective, what's happening at Unistoten seems like the perfect encapsulation of how health and the environment are interconnected. Is that how you're seeing it as well? Oh, totally. Because number one, uh, like I stated, they've had two gas leaks already and they tried to hide it. So they don't know how long and how far far down they have gone. And yet CGL is supposed to have the best equipment and everything else if they happen to have a leak. And they really didn't care. At one point in time, Unistoten was taking their they're taking their water samples and they found something yellow in in the out of the river or the Morris River, and they weren't sure. And this is what scares them because this is their drinking water. 
And so, you know, to bring water from outside, it was it was just an unheard of thing because that water is so pristine and it's still up there. And we're talking wilderness, like people haven't really used a lot of it. But when you see the, the destruction that they have taken from the trees, uh, all the, the land clearing that they have done, even though they went to initially right over uh, burial grounds, and all of that, we could see this this spring, how many landslides there has been. One of my, my uh, niece's husband, who works for CM, was stuck between two, uh, for 24 hours, he was stuck between two landslides. And it was very scary. Uh, and they finally got him and a few, four other vehicles out. This is how... It is going to happen up there with so much land clearing. It's happening here in Quebec already. And with the water that, that we've been having and now with the droughts, everything else that they're having up there, it, it, it is like, like it's going to be a climate uh, infrastructure there late in, in the next five, 10 years. It's really going to show. And this is just clearing of the land, not building a pipeline yet, where they're expecting to bring more than 25, more than 3,000 workers in there. And so that uh, alone is just a, a hugest, biggest um, thing we've had, like uh, speaking with the David Suzuki Foundation, many other foundations that are fighting you know, for us, with us, and uh, on this. And it's just an ongoing horrific thing because our salmon this year has been so depleted already. And last year it was just horrible what the salmon count was because of the big disaster they had up in, in northern BC uh, where they had the, the, the landslide that went into the river and they had to actually take the, uh, the young salmon uh, from a helicopter using baskets just to get the, the, the salmon up the river. I heard about that. Yeah, and so now that has is number one. That's our food fish. Number two is the moose. When I when I do my public speaking in, in Montreal, I've spoken so I've been doing two three events a day. I was so busy, and I said, "How do the moose know how to to jump over a pipeline to get from one to the other?" We've seen and heard where a cow was waiting for so long to, because the calf couldn't get on the other side. It was just some in, infrastructure that they had put up there to start up with a pipeline. And, you know, the, the moose is already going down, and uh, this is our hunting ground. And so being tormented by the RCMP and the, the workers up there, it's, it's just it's, it's just unheard of the amount of uh, destruction it's going to take a hold of in the next five to ten years. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and so, of course, you know, these, these aren't stories that we're hearing in the media. And in fact, you know, since COVID has occurred, there hasn't been much media coverage at all, which isn't helping uh, which isn't helping the cause. Can you can you talk about certain things, particularly as it relates to COVID, that 
you wish folks could hear about and the well, way that it's impacted? That's exactly what I talk on my, my own webinar. You guys have to come on my webinar and find out. We talk the first hour about, we do the politics, then we go to mental health and other things that just to traditional medicine, just to keep people uh, on ground kind of thing. And mm-hmm. basis on all of the um, things that we were, you know, the, the seriousness of, of everything up there is well known by the media. I'm in touch a lot, my, my own self, and I've had stories written by media on uh, the critical things that are happening between the injunctions and, uh, the, you know, uh, who the stakeholders are and, you know, the balance of, of um between the, you know, the, the companies and really who you are and how the government's handling things and the media and what, how they're not getting out the stories out there and how they're treated once they get up there. And, you know, the, uh, how our people are trying to help the media as much as they can in ways that uh, they do travel up there. My sister will open her house to them. They can do the editing. They can do use her phone. They can have a place to stay if they're and read the heat of everything. That's what, what had happened. And it's still open to anybody who's blocked because the RCMT take up all the hotels and you know the, the people are just knowing that if they know you're a media the RCMT don't give them a room kind of thing well there's people who will open that for them they are aware um, daily on a daily basis of the COVID um, the hospital is doing their best to make sure that they're well equipped in case there is a breakout, and uh, and that's the thing that we're really working on. Even though things are nothing up there, um, everybody in the, the local part of town is uh, doing their physical distancing. But people who are are visiting and meaning to say the the RCMP plus the CGL people when they're in our little towns, they don't social distance one bit. They could not care less. And so they, uh, many of the elders, the women were saying, why don't they implement the, the mask wearing, you know, and for people coming in and out. That was going right back at, at the beginning, but it was just gone to, to deaf ears. Mm-hmm. So the, the list of things that are worrisome is huge. And it just goes to, to deaf ears, no matter what we do with the government, to the health department, with many letters, everything else, and through the media. Because I think a lot of the media are afraid sometimes to go up there, too, because of just the way that they've been treated up there. So this is also worrisome. What's what's next? Will negotiations be resuming? What needs to happen to end the threat of coastal gasoline for good? It seems like with the U.S. Supreme Court blocking the Keystone XL pipeline last month, it it does seem like it's possible. It is possible. We never give up hope. I say this all the time. It happened to Standing Rock, and it's happened to Keystone, and, and you know, in Dakota, and, and it you know, uh, right stemming from Brazil, where they they won their biggest uh, case, and. 
for me to do this, you know, I have my my God behind me, and I just, um, you know, it's my. I promote self care. I promote mental health and wellness, and traditional medicines. I'm a chef by trade. I I, I talk to many frontline workers how to do self care, and this is what we do. And you know, go out, take pictures of flowers, and learn to do. Um, you know, uh, foraging and things like this to get your mind off of what's out there and to stay away from the media. And, you know, we've gone through people from from every walk of issue, problem, from crying on the bus, drinking problems, anxiety, asthma problems, and, you know, the... Um, it's like a missile, and, it, you know, don't know when it's going to explode. And so... We help a lot of people on, you know, through the COVID on uh, our, our webinar through many people who've gone through, not just people dying on them, uh, even our personal activist friends we've lost and the Native community, Indigenous community in Montreal, where we've lost quite a few people. I've lost personally uh, about three friends that we've been activists with many students and now that's our biggest issue i'll just get off the track for the kids because they're 20 30 and under and they're they're being a big problem as we all know i'm so sorry for your losses yeah, yeah. and thank you so much for doing that work for the community because we often don't take time for self-care and it's not something that's ingrained in, in in our society so thank you so much marlene well you know that's the thing i have seven sisters and that's all we do we talk about our health what are you doing what's this work working for you how are you doing this we, we even the the webinars are where everybody zoomed out and I just said, take a break. I'm going to take a break. And uh, my own personal, I'm, I'm, I'm helped by climate justice. And they give me a, a secure site for as long as I need it. They know the work, how important this work is. Well, like what you're doing too is important work. And it needs to get out there. Having said that, our you know indigenous people everywhere, not even indigenous people because of the system we have, traditions and whatnot have been really um, hor horrifically hit in a big way of the, of the social distancing. And it, it's not only that, it's because of the, um, the salmon depletion, the food depletion, and they know that in the up and coming winter, it's going to be the worst without the salmon, because that's what they do is they do a lot of canning for the winter. They do it right down at the river. Mm. They can't do that much anymore. They have to find another way. And so when they hunt, they usually, a person who hunts shares with certain families. And so that it's not all, you know, it's all, that's just how our traditions are. So that in the wintertime, all the families, they will can all this moose meat and the salmon and the berries they're picking. The berries is one thing we do have. There's plenty of it. The, far, the forest fires have really brought a really good crop this year. Thankfully for that. And uh, when my sisters, my cousins are all out there, I said, you guys be careful because you know that there's a lot of RCMP up there. Who knows what they've got? And if we've got salt rifles, just be careful. Let 10 people know where you're going. 
and what time you're going there and what time you're coming back don't just get in a car and go and be be silly that way you have to be proactive in everything you do even when you go into the store the missing and murdered indigenous women is a big thing that's always been on, on our back uh, log. So with man, many man camps up there and young girls, if you see one hitchhiking and whatnot, stop her and just, you know, deal with her. And um, it, it's just, you know, it's the list is just ongoing of the hurdle of many things that are happening up there. And uh, now they really worry again now of wildfires. So, um if that was to go through and they have the gas up there that they had the leak and everything else, this is one thing the territories are really afraid of. Do you have anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners just as we, we wrap up our conversation? I think it's really important that we still stand in solidarity. We have, we have to remember that it, it started, it ended with Canada being shut down. They have tried to put a lot of uh, tape over our mouths in certain senses of where they're going to threaten us with uh, silence. But don't be silenced because you're the, this is now the eighth generation and you are the eighth generation. This is all for you. This is for your future. This is why we carry on the work that we do. It's so important to look after yourselves, be mindful of your future so you can have a good, safe future. We have gone through many pandemics, our ancestors and behind us, and we can tell them too, we can do fight this one as well. And we can, we can have something to say about it. They can have something to say about it 20 years from now. And the way you handle things now, be careful what you do, what you say, how you use your words, be careful out there. And But don't forget that this is your future and this is history. You, you're a huge part of history. And you can say, I did this 20 years ago and this is how I did it and how I was a part of it and how I'm here to live and talk about it. That's important. A huge thank you to Marlene Hale for sharing the story with us. We are both disgusted and horrified to hear about what's happening to the elders and land defenders of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. Mm -hmm. It's our responsibilities as settlers to keep ourselves informed of the situation and how we can leverage our power to fight ongoing injustices. It's a situation that isn't getting any better either. Right after we talked to Marlene just this past Thursday, August 6th, the BC Environmental Assessment Office approved an environmental assessment report that Coastal GasLink had submitted in July. And this now officially gives the company a green light to begin construction near the Unistote healing center so so wrong it's so upsetting My yeah gosh. yeah it is um and if i may i just want to take a minute to read out a portion of the un declaration for the rights of indigenous peoples uh this is article 27 
States shall establish and implement in conjunction with Indigenous peoples concerned a fair, independent, impartial, open and transparent process, giving due recognition to Indigenous peoples' laws, traditions, customs and land tenure systems to recognize and adjudicate the rights of Indigenous peoples pertaining to their lands, territories and resources, including those which were traditionally owned or otherwise occupied or used. Indigenous people shall have the right to participate in this process. And that is not happening. No, no, it's not. So folks, to stay informed on discussions being had in the Indigenous community, we will provide the link to the Facebook event for Marlene's weekly webinar in our show notes. Uh, you can also contact us and we can put you in touch directly. You can find us on Twitter at science underscore broads or on our website, broadscience.org. We are also anywhere you get your podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. If you can like and subscribe, we appreciate any single review. This episode was edited and mixed by Ryan McFarlane in partnership with CKUT 90.3 FM. See you all next week, everyone. Stay safe, wear your masks, and be kind. Take care.